Galatians 5.16, if you're there, say amen. amen. The Bible says, this I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. As it concerns the work of the spirit in the life of the believer, from what we see from Paul's statement here in this one verse and and like statements that he makes in other verses that are similar to this, this is the main responsibility of the believer as it concerns the work of the Spirit in the, in the believer, that we are to walk in the Spirit. But you know, as I mentioned yesterday, so many believers today, and I'm talking now about sincere believers. I'm not talking about apathetic believers or those who are complacent or those who show up at church, you know, whenever it's not hunting season or whenever the football game allows it. I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about believers who love the Lord with all their heart, but they do not know the correct how to do the what to do. And they read, they, they, they read Christian books, they, they see it on Christian television, uh, and they're, again, they're sincere, but they see a, a thousand and one different ways or different ministers give to how to walk in the Spirit. And for so many believers, this can be so confusing because, as, again, as I mentioned yesterday, uh, it seems like every minister has a different way. One minister will have two steps, Another minister will have seven steps. Another minister will have 10 steps. One minister will say it takes 39 minutes. Another minister says, no, it takes 68 minutes. And, and, and it seems like there's a, you know, a, a thousand and one different ways to walk in the Spirit. And so for the sincere believer who really does want to walk in the Spirit, this can be confusing. But let me get this today, that God never intended for walking in the Spirit or to, for the believer to understand how to walk in the Spirit to be that confusing. You get that? He never intended for it to be like some complicated puzzle that's got a, you know, 2,000 pieces. You ever try to put together a, a puzzle or like that or may, maybe not that big, maybe it had 10 pieces and you... And you <laughs> You ever try to put together, and you're trying to piece the, the, put the pieces together? Well, for so many believers today, sincere believers, that's so how they view walking in the Spirit. I know, as I said yesterday, for myself, in my own testimony, I know my own testimony was, I thought, well, I guess you have to find whatever works for you. I guess you just have to work yourself through it or find the puzzle that works for you. For some people, I guess it's doing that, three steps. For other people, I guess it's 10 steps. And, but I, I guess I haven't found what works for me yet. And so I'm just going to continue and allow this struggle to rule my life. But again, God never intended for it to be like that. In Galatians 5 and verse 16, when Paul said here, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Understand this this morning as we approach this, that walking in the Spirit is not an automatic thing that takes place in the life of the believer. I, when I say automatic thing, I'm, what, I, what I imply and mean by that is that it's not just something that takes place 
in the life of every believer just simply because we are a child of God. In other words, well, I'm a child of God. Because you're a child of God, everybody, every child of God just walks in the Spirit. No. Just because you're a child of God and you're saved and you, you have that in Christ position doesn't mean you're going to walk in the Spirit. No, walking in the Spirit is not just some automatic thing that happens in the life of the believer. If it was, we wouldn't be having the problems like we're having in the church today. And so it is possible, and actually it is the default, it is the default position of, a, of a, even a child of God to not walk in the Spirit, but actually walk in the flesh. We began when we first got saved to walk in the Spirit, but through false teaching or through ignorance or through fret out pride or unbelief, we went from walking in the Spirit and living under grace to walking in the flesh and living under law. And so, when he talked about walking in the Spirit, it is critically important. And we're not, we could spend two weeks on this subject, but we're only going to take about uh, 10 or 15 minutes to cover this morning. When Paul talk, used that word walk, when he said walk in the Spirit, what Paul was referring to was that lifestyle. The word, the word walk and the word live in the New Testament are synonyms one with another. Walk in the Spirit. He could have said here, live in the Spirit. Actually, he did say that in Galatians 5 and verse 24, as we, as we have been given life in the Spirit. So live in the Spirit. So live in the Spirit. The word live and walk are really synonyms one another, and it speaks of a lifestyle of living and walking in the Spirit. You get that? And those words there, in the Spirit, they speak of the principle that governs our lifestyle. That principle, that standard, that governs how we approach our lifestyle. You know, I'll say it this way, that if you were to ask people in the world, even in the world, unsaved people, and you were to ask them and sit down with them and say, how do you live? How how do you approach life? How do you approach your own life? How do you live? Just how do you live? Well, many people would say, well, uh, I try to be honest, right? I try to be, I, I, I'm, uh, I try to be honest. Uh, uh, I, uh, uh, I try to be respectful. Uh, I help the old lady across the street. I, I try to do uh, uh, good things, and, and uh, th- that's how I, I, tr- I try not to uh, mistreat people in a bad way. And so I, that's, that's, and so what they're saying is, that is the principle in which they live their life. I, I'm honest. I, I try to be honest. I, I try to be nice to people. I, I, I love my mom and dad and, you know, things like that. And that's the principle in which they live. That's the principle, they're saying, that governs their lifestyle. But get this this morning, that the principle that governs the lifestyle of a believer in, in just using Galatians 5.16 here, is in the Spirit. But, but Romans 1.17, you don't have to turn there, but Romans 1.17, anybody know what Romans 1.17 says? For as it is written, the just shall live by faith, right? 
As it is written, the just, those who are justified. Is there any justified here this morning? The justified shall live by faith. That word live, you could say, is walk. The justified shall walk by faith. But get this, the, same, the principle that Paul established in Galatians 5.16, walk in the Spirit is the same as the principle that Paul established in, in Romans 1.17 in living by faith. Live by faith, walk in the Spirit. You get that? Live by faith, walk in the Spirit. They are synonymous one with another. You can't have one without the other. And, and living and walking by faith is this, is that faith, faith in Jesus, faith in what he did for us at the cross is the principle, get this, it's the principle that governs my lifestyle. It's the principle that governs my walk, my everyday approach to life. I believe in Jesus. I believe in what he did for me at Calvary. I believe it's not by my own works. It's by what he did on my behalf. That is the principle that governs my life. Oh, hallelujah. And you know, you ask many believers today, if you were to ask them, sit them down and say, well, how do you live? You realize that so many believers today, I would have to say the average believer today, most, the majority, if you were to ask them, how do you live? How do you approach life? How, again, do you approach life and your walk with God? They would say, well, I go to church. They would start listing off the things that they do, right? And there ain't nothing, you know this, I'm preaching to the choir, there's nothing wrong with going to church. I'm thankful that you're here this morning. <laughs> ain't nothing wrong with going to church. We need to go to church. We ought to pray. We ought to seek the face of God. We ought to know the Word of God. We, it, it is our spiritual food, right? And so there are Christian disciplines that we ought to uh, have in our own life as a believer. But as we approach our Christian life, and as we, as we have a standard and a principle that governs how we live, the one thing that must govern how we approach our walk with God is faith. Our dependence, our focus in Jesus Christ and what he did for us at Calvary. Well, how do you get all that from Galatians 5, 16 and, 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 and Romans 1, 17. Well, I want you to go to Galatians chapter 3, if you would. Galatians chapter 3 and verses 2 and 3, because right here in the book of Galatians, Paul defined what he meant, and he clarified what he meant about walking in the Spirit. In Galatians 3, and I'll, I'll begin with verse 1. Paul said, O oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth and crucified among you? Now verse 2. This only would I learn of you. Now Paul's about to ask a question. You know, in the epistles of Paul, he asked and, and, at certain times and uh, places in his epistles, many times he asked a lot of questions. And the reason why the apostle Paul asked his recipient 
recipients questions is to get them to think about what they were doing. You get that? To think about what they were believing, to think about their belief system. Oh, I could spend here, spend this on here for a while, but most believers never think. <laughs> they just swallow and follow. You get that? Most believers never think about what they're believing or what they're accepting or what they're hearing at all. They never think about it at all. It's just, well, pastor said it. Or I saw it, I, I, I saw it on Christian television. So I, it, it's good. It, it has to be good. Or th- there was a, he was behind a pulpit. So it had to be good. Most believers approach their belief system, and their walk with God in that sense. But here Paul asks a question, a couple questions, to get them to think about what they were doing and their belief system. The first question was this in verse two. He said, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Get that? Question, excuse me, number one. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Now that was somewhat of a rhetorical question, meaning that the answer is obvious. You did not, how did you receive the Spirit? You can answer this morning. It was by faith. How did you receive the Spirit when you, and he's he's speaking about when they first got saved. Because when we first got saved, that's when we received the Holy Spirit and he came in to dwell on the inside. And how did that happen? Was it through you shaking hands with a preacher? Was it by you signing your name on a membership card? Was it by you doing, doing a work, even a good work? No, it was by faith. It was by faith. And so the idea says, how did you begin? You began by faith and not on our works. As good as those works might have been, it was by faith. But get this, faith specifically in Jesus Christ and what he did for us at the cross. Get that? Because in verse 1, Paul said that when he, he, I'm paraphrasing here, but when he was among them, When he was among them in the churches of southern Galatia, he preached the cross so much to them, it was as if they had been there. Get that? He he preached and he taught the cross so effectively and so correctly, so much so, with so much emphasis, that they got it. Get that? They got it. They got the message. They got it. Paul marveled here in this passage in verse 1. What happened? You had it. What happened? You had the message of the cross. I preached it to you. I taught it to you. And you got it. But what happened? Who has bewitched you? And he even said to them, you're foolish. My Lord. And so, again, he asked that question. How did you uh, begin in the spirit? In verse 3, he asked another question. Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect or being made perfect by the flesh? Second question. Now that you are saved, have, and get this, these are the key words, having begun in the 
spirit, that, those, that terminology, those words, begun in the spirit, they speak of what happened when we first got saved. When you and I first got saved, we began in the spirit. Get that? We began, and in reality, every believer begins in the spirit. You can't be saved unless you begin in the spirit. But he said this, having begun the spirit, are you now being made perfect? And the word perfect here speaks of sanctification. Are you being made sanctified? Are you, are you being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ? Or do you have victory over the sin nature by your own flesh? Oh, it's a good question. Are you being made perfect, sanctified? Do you have victory over sin by the means of your own flesh? And our own flesh speaks of our own stinking thinking. It's our own self. Get that? And every single one of you, you can pray in tongues all day long. You have a flesh. You have a self, a flesh. Why, why do we have a flesh as a believer? It's because we haven't been raptured yet. And we still have the presence of the sin nature still residing in us. That residue of the fall, the hanging vines of the fall that are still there. And the work of sanctification is the Holy Spirit cutting those vines of self-dependence, cutting those vines of self-righteousness, cutting those vines of, of, of self-conceitedness, and, and, and me, 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 I, 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 cutting those vines and cleaning us up and conforming us into the image of Jesus. Mm, that's good. Praise the Lord. And the sanctification process is happening in every one of us or every child of God, especially as they're living by faith. But he said, having begun by, in the spirit, are you bound being made perfect by the flesh? The idea is no, of course not. Of course not. But in the whole context here, the idea of walking in the spirit is that we are living by faith when the same, or in the same object, or in, uh, uh, with our focus on the same object as when we first got saved. Having, we walk in the Spirit the same way we began in the Spirit. As I mentioned yesterday, and using this, this pulpit here, uh, in a sense, as the cross and all the benefits of what he accomplished for us at the cross, that our focus and our life, and our life is, is focused on the cross. You get that? In John and Matthew seven in verse fourteen, Jesus said that straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leads to life. Get that? Straight is the is the gate, and narrow is the way that leads to life, and few there be that find it. Straight, the word straight in Matthew seven fourteen means that it's a narrow gate. It's a small. It's not some huge thing. It's a narrow gate. And it would have said that narrow is the way. It speaks of a way that's compressed. Get that? It's compressed. It's, it's, it's not here, over here, and way over here. No, it's compressed. And get this, our own flesh. As we live by faith, our own flesh and, and false teaching and, and ignorance will cause the child of God to veer over here and depend upon ourselves. Oh, well, well, look at over here. There's a, here's, another, here's a program, another program, a, a, how, a three-step how-to. And over here, and over here, and over here, and over here. 
and get to so many children of God today are living their life going away from one extreme to the other. Get that? From one extreme, way over here, and then way over here. But God's design and his plan for the Christian life is that we have our eyes on Calvary. We're depending upon the finished work of the cross. And we are living by faith. Our, our face is set like flint on Jesus. We're depending upon his work and not our own. And so, yes, the, 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 the way is straight. The, the way is narrow. It's compressed. But the only way you can do it it's taking just one step at a time. You get that? Taking one step of faith. That's, what, that's, what, that's how you walk, by the way. You just take one step at a time. And you keep you, your eyes there, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And not veering away, not, not, not veering away to, to look another way, not veering away to try this over here. Or to try this over here. No, 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 no. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on the finished work of Calvary. What he has accomplished on our behalf. And don't trust in ourselves. That's what it means to walk in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit is not going to be easy. The way is simple. Get that? The, 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 the understanding of it is simple. It's just living by faith. But I tell you what, living by faith, that lifestyle of living by faith, keeping your eyes, your focus, your dependence, your trust, your faith in the finished work of Calvary, it ain't going to be easy because you will, have, you will have to at times fight the fight of faith, the agony of faith. You'll have every devil of hell coming against you. You'll have friends come against you. You'll have family that come against you trying to pull you away, but I'm encouraging you today. Don't be pulled away. Keep your eyes on Calvary. Oh, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Mm. And so walking in the Spirit is so critical for the child of God. And again, it is our main responsibility. Oh, we could spend again two weeks on that subject and, and, and really not exhaust it. But now I want to take a look at the rest of our time today. I want to take a look at the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And again, that in itself is a subject you could spend a lot of time on, the baptism with the Holy Spirit. As I approach this subject of the baptism with the Spirit, I want to briefly compare what happens when a person, when we first got saved, and what happens when a believer is baptized with the Holy Spirit. Get that? So in other words, the, what, hap, what, what the Spirit does when we first get saved and what happens with the, with the Spirit when we are baptized. First of all, when we first get saved, the Spirit baptizes the new believer into Christ. Get that? When we first, when you and I first accepted Jesus, just think about the moment when you first got saved, but whenever that moment first, first happened, what happened is the Spirit baptized you into the, I'm not, into the Spirit. I'm not, I'm not into, into Christ. I'm not talking about water baptism. No, no, water baptism has nothing to do with this at all. This is a spiritual immersion into Christ. As, well, there's an orange. As I mentioned yesterday, is that your rich? Okay. As I mentioned yesterday, view this octagon as Christ. You get that? View that octagon as Christ. And uh, when, we first get, when we first got saved, we took one step of faith and we stepped out of sin and stepped right into righteousness. 
at that. We step out of sin with one step, one moment of faith. Yes, Jesus. Boom. We're into Christ. Hallelujah. Get this. Baptized into Jesus. Enveloped in Jesus. That's when we first got, and that's the way that God sees us. He sees us not in our own sin, not in our own frailties, not in our own unrighteousness in and of ourselves, but he sees us in his son, Jesus. Oh, that's good. Ephesians 2 and verse 6, we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, and that is our true position in Christ. And so that's what happens when we first get saved. The Spirit baptizes us into Christ. Number two, the Spirit comes in to dwell. He comes in to dwell. As I mentioned yesterday, we are not a hotel for the Holy Spirit. We are a home of the Holy Spirit. Oh, and thank God for that. It's hard for us to comprehend that sometimes because we see our own frailties, right? Sometimes we can be so critical of ourselves, overly critical, and we can view ourselves in a way that God does not see us. But we can view our own frailties, our own inconsistencies, our own this and that, and we can think, well, how in the, whole, how in the world does the Holy Spirit live in me? But he does, and thank God for that. And number three, at salvation, what happens is he begins to change. At the moment of salvation, we are regenerated by the Spirit of God. And he begins to change the new believer into the image of Jesus Christ. That's when the sanctification process begins. That's why after you're saved, that's why you could love people that you, you, that you couldn't love before. Get that? That's why now, after, right after you're saved, you, you want the things of God. Get that? You're hungry for the things of God. You want to know Jesus. Well, just a few hours, a few minutes before, that wasn't the case. And get this, as he begins to change into the image of Jesus, and that sanctification process begins right after we're justified, immediately after we're justified, he begins to change us. Oh, thank God for that. And he begins to develop the fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> Hallelujah. The Lord gave me a visual this morning. He begins... He begins to develop the fruit of the Spirit. Peace. <laughs> Hallelujah. Love. Joy. Longs. Oh my, that's a, that's a bad one. Long-suffering. Long patience. He develops patience in us. We can't do it ourselves. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Patience. Against such there is no law, the fruit of the Spirit, even, even faith. And so he develops his fruit, his character, because the fruit of the Spirit is the character of Jesus. And so that's what happens at the moment that we are saved. If, whoever this is, you know where it is, okay? But when a believer is baptized with the Spirit, get this, we refer to it as the baptism of with the Holy Spirit. And there are many synonyms for the baptism with the Spirit. One of them is just simply filled with the Spirit, the infilling of the Holy Spirit. When we first get saved, we receive the indwelling of the Spirit. That's just terminology here, okay? Indwelling of the Spirit. We become the home of the Holy Spirit. But after a believer is baptized with the power of the Spirit, that can, sometimes can be referred to as the infilling 
of the Holy Spirit. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes the, the book of Acts referred to as this, is that we are, what the Holy Spirit came upon them. The Holy Spirit comes upon us with his power. But get this, when a believer is baptized with the Spirit, just like the disciples were in the book of Acts chapter two, just like they were in Acts chapter eight, just like they were in Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 19, get that? They were baptized with the Spirit. Now what happened though, when that happened, is that Jesus baptizes the believer with the Spirit. Get that? When we first got saved, the Holy, the Holy Spirit baptized us into Christ, immersed us into Christ. Now, it has nothing to do, again, with water baptism, nothing to do with water, physical water at all. It's, a, it's an immersion into Christ, and that's what happened when we first got saved. The Holy Spirit baptized us into Christ. But when a believer is baptized the Spirit, what happens is Jesus baptizes the believer with the Spirit. In Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11, go in your Bibles if you were, that would please there. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11. I just want you to see it this morning. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11. These are the words of, of John the Baptist pointing, that were pointing to the Christ that was to come. And in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11, John the Baptist said, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he who comes after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear, and he shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Oh, hallelujah. Jesus is the baptizer. Jesus is the one who, who immerses the child of God with the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's, get this, that's what happens when you and I or any believer is baptized in the Spirit. It's not something you can see with your own eyes. It's not something that happens uh, in the physical or material, like you can see Jesus or you can see the Holy Spirit coming upon you. No, no, no. It's a spiritual thing that happens. Jesus baptizes a believer with the Spirit. Number two, along with that, the Holy Spirit comes upon the believer to empower for service. As it concerns the baptism with the Spirit, what happens when a believer is baptized in the Spirit? The Holy Spirit comes upon. I think of this sometimes as the motion of the Holy Spirit. I could, I could put it that way. The motion of the Holy Spirit. When, when we are saved, he comes in. Get that? Not in and out, in and out, in and out. But he comes in. Comes in to dwell. But when a, when a believer is baptized in the Spirit, he, according to the book of Acts, according to the words of Jesus himself, he, the Spirit, comes upon. And we are immersed with the power of the Spirit. Well, and, and some, the, the, the natural thought is, well, how could he come upon a believer, but yet be in the believer all at the same time? Get that? How could he come upon a believer, but yet be dwelling on the inside of a believer all at the same time? 
And over the years, I've had people try to, I know, argue with me over that. And, 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 and the argument is, well, the Holy Spirit is a person. And you can't divide them up. And when you get saved, you get it all, brother. You get it all. And there is no, you, know, you, don't, you don't get more, more power. You don't, the Holy Spirit doesn't come upon you. When you first get saved, he comes in, and that's it. Because you can't divide up a person. Well, it is true, the Holy Spirit is a person. But he is not a person like you and I. In that sense, you can't divide up you and I and us still be living. Hey, here's my arm. Go ahead, take this. And my leg, here you go. Here's, here's my leg, and, and, and here's my, my foot. Here you go, divide, I'm, I'm divided up. No, you know what? With that argument, you have to ask the question, well, okay, if, if you want to have that as your argument, then how in the world is the Holy Spirit in you, and you, and you, and me, and all of us all at the same time. You can't divide up a person, you know. Well, he's God. And I'm, I tell you what, following the biblical example, yes, it's the child of God who has the Holy Spirit dwelling on the inside. But when a believer is baptized in the Spirit, hold the Holy Spirit comes upon You can't see with your natural eyes, but he comes upon the believer and fills the believer with power in a way that he does not have in his indwelling. That's just the way, that's just the Bible. He comes upon the believer. He fills the believer with his power. Get that, a different level of his power. And that power, as it concerns the baptism, is power for service. And over the years as well, well, especially if you're a minister, you come up with every Tom, Dick, or Harry argument against everything. And I've had arguments that go over the years, well, no, well, it's not power for service, it's, it's power for this, it's power for that. And I've, over the years, I've had people who minimize, minimize the service for God. Minimize the even thought of doing a work for God. But get this, God, get this, anybody to a certain extent can quote unquote do something for God. Get that, I don't mean that in reality, but anybody, any, I mean, um, any, anybody, any Tom, Dick, or Harry, you don't mind me using that terminology, but any, any Peter, Paul, or Mary can do a work for God can say, can think that they're doing a work for God, can say a good thing. Well, have a nice, you know, good work, you know, have a nice day today. Uh, here's a bottle of water. Uh, or or here, here you go, ma'am, I opened the door for you. Oh, I'm doing a work for God, hallelujah, woo! So many, so many believers view doing a work of God, that's, that's how they view doing a work of God, you get that? Doing nice things for people. But get this, any good Mormon can help your old lady across the street. Get that? Any good Roman Catholic, any good Jehovah Witness can do nice things for people. But that's not the work, ultimately, of God. The work of God in the words of Jesus in the Great Commission is to go into all the world and preach the gospel unto every creature. And God's, God's design, 
get this, God's design, his, his eternal plan is that the believer, the child of God, does not do that in his own power, in his own schemes, in his own effort, through his own programs, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm. It's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by his Spirit, saith the Lord. And what we see is it concerns the Bible explanation of it, and especially in the book of Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, is that we receive the power of the Spirit for service, and I'll deal with that later on. And then number three, the, the third thing that happens as it concerns the baptism of the Spirit upon the believer is that the Holy Spirit, when a believer is baptized, the Spirit filled with his power, he intensifies the work within and glorifies Jesus in us in a way that we had not previously. So that again, when a believer is baptized with the Holy Spirit, he, the Holy Spirit, he intensifies. Get this this morning. He, and I'm using that word intensify, he increases. He intensifies the work that's already taking place. And he glorifies Jesus in us. Get this, if, as a believer, after a believer is baptized with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, his power will take you to another level of worship. He'll bring you to another level of prayer. He will. It's not emotion, it's not hype, it's not a program, no. It's the working of the Spirit, his power, working on the inside. He takes the believer to another level in the sense of the spirit. Get that? Of the spirit. In other words, you will see things that you did not see before. I can tell you testimony after testimony, even my own, of people who have been baptized with the spirit and they've told me things like that. I remember uh, when I was in, in high school, I, when I was uh, growing up, I went to a Baptist high school and I was the only Pentecostal in the school. And I was baptized in the Spirit when I was 16 years old. And uh, after I came to Bible, I left and I'd come to Bible college. Uh, there was a, a, a younger friend of mine. And uh, after actually my, my senior year in high school, there was another Pentecostal that showed up at the school. His name was Sean. And uh, he was younger than I was. So I had moved on, went to Jimmy Swagger Bible College. And uh, I got a call one day from one of my younger friends at school named Andy. And Andy, you have to understand this about Andy, he was, his parents, or his grandparents had their name on, on the back of one of the pews in his church. They were pillars in the Baptist church, all right? They were, now they were good people, but they were staunch conservative Baptists. Don't say amen too much in church because we could get carried away. And we ain't going to get carried away now. It was, it was that kind of conservative Baptist. Well, I'm making a long story short. One, Andy and Sean became friends. Sean invited Andy to a Pentecostal revival service. <laughs> And Andy got baptized with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. A good old Baptist boy. 
He was like 6'5", and as skinny as a beanpole, and he got baptized with the Holy Spirit. He came home, and he's talking about Jesus. Oh, he didn't do that before. Get this. He didn't do that. He was saved before, but he didn't do that before. But he came home from that revival service after he was baptized the Spirit, and he was talking about Jesus, just loving Jesus. Oh, mom or dad, isn't the Lord good today? What? <laughs> mom and dad are, oh, uh, what? I've never heard my son praise the Lord like that. And he did it the next day, and the next day. He's just loving Jesus. He's talking about Jesus, talking about the Lord. He called me one day, and he did. And he said, man, Bob, and he told me what happened. He got baptized in the Spirit. He said, man, I'm seeing things out of the Word I'd never seen before. God is just, the Holy Spirit is just opening up my eyes to the Word of God. There's a hunger there. Get that? This is his Old Testament. There's a hunger there. There's a thirst for the things of God I didn't have before. Now get this, he was saved before, but I'm talking about what the baptism with the Holy Spirit will do for a believer. Or at least it's God's intention. It's his plan. And he will do it. The believer allows him to do it. And he said, man, I'm seeing things out of the word of God. He even told me this. He said, man, God is, in the last several days, God has given me, I feel like several visions. I'm having dreams. The things of God, and he's showing me things. Well, what happened, which that is a good testimony up to this point. And I'm just giving you that example of showing what the Holy Spirit will do in the life of a believer. Get that? He will intensify the work within. He mag- the Holy Spirit magnifies Jesus. Get that? He magnifies and glorifies Jesus. If you want to know, if you're a believer, you want to know Jesus more, it only happens by the power and the moving of the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit and allow Him to control and allow Him to influence your mind and your whole life. Be filled with the Spirit. Well, that was a good testimony as it concerned Annie up to that point. But as time went on, what happened is, is his parents and the Baptist church where he was at began to be very concerned about Andy. Brought him in, and the pastor of that, the church, uh, he had a doctorate in psychology. And, uh, and their explanation, they brought him in one day and said, Andy, we're just concerned about you. You know, that's how it happens. You know, we're, we're just, we, we love you so much, and you know, you're talking about Jesus so much, and that, that we're concerned about that. And they didn't say this, but this is really what was going on. You're talking about Jesus so much, and you know, that, that, that's not like us. We don't do that. And so they brought him in and had several counseling sessions. Over uh, about a four- to six-week period, he had them come in twice a week. His parents forced him to do it. Come in, talk to Pastor so-and-so with his psychology degree. And get this, after about five or six weeks of that counseling, Andy was right back to where he was before. Get that? I, I found out about him later that, because that, uh, I think Andy had a call of God in his life for worship. He, could play the, he had a gift to play the piano and sing. He could sing and play the piano incredibly so. And I think God had laid that gift upon his life to, be, to lead in worship, to be a worshiper, to play the piano. 
And what I found out about him later on and from, from what I still know about him today, and hopefully this is not the case, but from what I still know about him today, he's just, he's just a common, average, apathetic Christian, if I could say it that way. And what happens is through the counsel and wisdom of man, get that? Through the counsel and wisdom of man, he forsook, and it's ultimately, ultimately, it's Andy's fault, ultimately. God lays the blame at Andy's fault, but he also lays the blame at that pastor and his parents. Get that? Lays the blame there as well. And so they counseled him out of one of the, really the greatest blessing that, a, that, a, that God has for the believer, the baptism with the Holy Spirit. In my own testimony, it's not quite the same, <laughs> but in my own testimony, because I'm still here, Hallelujah. But I was baptized the Spirit when I was 16 years old. When I got baptized in the Spirit, I won't go through the whole testimony. Well, maybe I'll tell a little bit about it. But I got baptized in the Spirit at 16 years old in an old abandoned Roman Catholic church in Auburn, New York. Auburn Full Gospel Tabernacle. It's a small church, about 30 people. If we ran 40, oh my Lord, we were busting out. We'd become mega church. Oh my Lord. Oh, we were busting out. And I will make this short for the sake of time, but uh, uh, this, this, this old church, and again, old abandoned Roman Catholic church we were running out, had a, just a plain wooden sign in the front of it, Auburn Full Gospel Tabernacle. But at that altar, you had a statue of Mary on one side and a statue of some, I, don't, I have no idea what it was. It looked like a demon or a gargoyle or I don't know if it was Saint Bernard. I have no idea. I no idea what it was. Mary on one side, St. Bernard on the other side. And one Sunday morning I went forward and for several months I had been asking God to fill me with the Spirit, just a young man. Lord, I want, I want to be filled with the Spirit. I had not received it. it this, this lasted for several months. And one Sunday morning, the, as the altar call was given, it wasn't, the message wasn't even on the baptism of the Spirit. It wasn't even on that. I have no idea, I remember what it was, but I went forward, and when I went forward, I was not even at that moment thinking about the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Wasn't even thinking about it. I think I, I, probably, I was probably repenting of something. I repented a lot of things when I was a teenager. But, and I went forward, and that Sunday morning, that early that Sunday morning, uh, or that Sunday morning, there was a, 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 some guests that came, a man and his wife that showed up at our church. We'd never seen them. Uh, they'd never seen us before, and uh, they were from Rochester, New York, which is about an hour and a half from where Auburn, New York is, around there, hour and a half, two hours. And uh, the testimony of this brother, and we t- he told me this afterwards, that early that morning, the Lord had woken him up and told him, I want you to get up early and go to church in Auburn. And he said, Lord, I don't know anybody in Auburn. I have no idea. I, have no, I don't know anybody in Auburn. I don't know of a church in Auburn. And the Lord spoke to his heart and said, get up, you and your wife, leave early, and I'll show you where to go. So they got up early, and they went to Auburn on Route 20, the main drag there in Auburn, New York, and, and they got to a certain place. The Holy Spirit told them, Take, go, go this way, take a right. They went down that road, and here it was. On the left-hand side, right-hand side there, or left-hand side, was Auburn Full, Auburn Full Gospel Tabernacle, that old abandoned Roman Catholic church. And as they got near it, the Holy Spirit said, there, that's it right there, go there. And he looked at the building, he was like, oh my, why in the world? Why, you want me to go there? <laughs> so he did, we came inside, listened, went through the whole service. And the brother told me afterwards that at the altar call, as I was kneeling by St. Bernard, 
and I was praying. I was just like this, praying. The Lord, he saw me. The Lord told that brother, I want you to go pray for him. Go lay your hand on him that he might receive the filling of the Holy Spirit. And at that moment, I, he, he didn't know who I was. I had no clue who he was. He was, a new, he was a, just a visitor that day, and they, that's the first time they came, and that's the last time they came. But he came up behind me, and he laid his hand in the back of my head. And he said, Lord, I'm asking you right now in the name of Jesus that you would fill this young man with the power of your Holy Spirit. (laughs) And as he prayed that prayer, (laughs) the Holy Spirit began to fill me from head to toe. He filled me with his power. I began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. And I have to confess, I I didn't run around the church. I didn't, I didn't jump over pews, I just stayed right there and I lifted my hands and I began to cry and I began to speak with the tongues and what I had been asking him for, he blessed me with it, he filled me with his spirit. Oh, hallelujah. I went to that Baptist school, which I do thank God for, I do thank God for that school, but I went to that Baptist school. I began to talk about Jesus. I, I, and I, and I, I'll say this, that as it concerns the baptism of the Spirit, I'm talking about how the Holy Spirit will intensify the work within. I spoke, get this, I spoke with other tongues. That was the initial physical evidence of the baptism of the Spirit. And one of the greatest words of advice I had received as a young man after I had just gotten baptized in the Spirit, uh, a brother or sister, I don't remember who it was, it might have been my mother that told me, that told me, okay, don't let this be the, be the only day that you speak in tongues. Let it be a part of your life. That was one of the greatest words of advice because tongues throughout my Christian life from that point on has been an incredible blessing and a gift from the Lord. And I encourage you today, if you've been baptized the Spirit, if you have been baptized the Spirit, but you barely ever speak in tongues, don't do that, allow the Holy Spirit. It's a gift from God. Speak in that unknown tongue. Worship in that unknown tongue. Pray, intercede in that unknown tongue. Well, Brother Bob, it would just be me. No, no, no. it's your mouth, but it's it's the Spirit. Get that? It is your mouth, it's your tongue, it's your lips, but it's the Spirit that's giving you that gift. And sometimes you'll be praying, you'll you'll need something that you, you have no idea what you have need of but the Spirit will pray through you. But when I was baptized the Spirit, it's my own testimony, the number one thing, I look back at it, the, the thing that stuck out to me more than anything else was that Jesus was glorified in my life like never, ever before. I tell you what, I, I love Jesus now, and, and after I was baptized, I loved Jesus before, but after I was baptized, man, oh, uh, there was a love for Jesus I'd never had before. And I think of it this way, that before I was, say, before I was baptized in spirit, Jesus was about that big. He was big, but he was, I was saved, but he was about that big. But after the baptism, Jesus went about being right there, that big too, about this big. Hallelujah, because that's what the Holy Spirit will do. He magnifies Jesus. He intensifies the work within. Oh, hallelujah. He intensifies that work within. And get this, as it concerns the the baptism with the Spirit, and I've already given you this somewhat, but the purpose 
of the baptism of the Spirit, as I've already mentioned, is power for service. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he said, you shall receive power and you shall be witnesses. In Luke 24, 49, he said, you tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And right before that, he gave them the great commission, preach the gospel to every nation, but, 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 you tarry, you wait here until you are endued with power from on high. And the idea was this, I don't want you trying to do it in your own power, in your own schemes, in your own ability. I want you to do it with the power, under the influence of the power of the Holy Spirit. That is God's design. It's power for service, ultimately. But get this, as well, not only power for service, it's not just limited to what we do. Like I said, it will intensify the work within. And as it concerns the purpose of the baptism of Spirit, power for service, but it's also greater power to be and to do like Christ. He said, you shall receive power and you shall be. And the word be there is a state of being verb in the English. It's a state of being verb. You shall be. The power of the Spirit is not just going to affect your doing, it's going to affect your being. Get that? He's going to affect your being because if all you are is a doing and not a being, the world will see your life and say that is a hypocrite. They say one thing, but they walk another. Get that? But God, through the power of his Holy Spirit, will influence not only our talk, but influence our walk. Greater power to be and to do like Christ. And then as it concerns the purpose It's power, and this goes along with the intensification, but power to increase that sanctification work that's going on on the inside. Power to increase that work that's already going on. Power to increase it. Power to intensify it. That's what the power of the Holy Spirit will do. Jesus said, or John the Baptist said, we read it in Matthew 3.11. He said that he will baptize you, Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Get that? And with fire. And that fire speaks of purification. It speaks of greater conviction of sin. So many Pentecostals today, they want the power, but they don't want the fire. Get that? They want the power, but they don't want the fire. They want to they manifest the gifts, but they don't want to be purified in the inside. They don't want the Holy Spirit to lay his holy finger on our pride on our ego and upon our own schemes. But the baptism with the Spirit, and this this is God's intention, as as the believer is controlled by his Spirit, will have an experience, an intensified work within of holiness. Get that? At least that's God's plan. Now as I say this, I can see it on some of your faces actually. As I say this, sometimes we can think of examples. We can think of the church as a whole. And I, I, I can see that same way in myself. What happens is when we talk about what the baptism of the Spirit will do, it will intensify that work of holiness within. And our, sometimes our first thought can be, well, well, there ain't a lot of holiness. Working within a lot of baptized the Spirit, I know. Okay. <laughs> okay, amen. You could say amen. Okay. There's a lot of 
There's a lot of what's going on in the charismatic, spirit-filled world today that has nothing to do with the spirit at all. Get that? Nothing to do with the spirit at all. Nothing. And there is what I refer to as the hyper-charismatic aspect of the extreme as it concerns the spirit, as I mentioned on Thursday morning, that they're extreme, that so many things are being done in the flesh, but it's being tagged to the Holy Spirit. And what that does is it sets a terrible, terrible, terrible example. Get that? A terrible example that of what it means to be spirit-filled. And many times non-Pentecostals see that and they say, I want nothing to do with that at all. Get that? That's just the reality of it. I want nothing to do with that, with that at all. Now, sometimes it is just a, simply a stereotype. There are many non-Pentecostals, and I know this from uh, my own experience and my upbringing. There are, non, there, there are many non-Pentecostals that view you and I, Pentecostals, and really all the Pentecostals and charismatic, good, bad, and the ugly, that when we come to church, those people, oh, they, they foam at the mouth and they... They, they, they scratch at the walls, and those people are nuts. And that is just a stereotype. But you know, it's a stereotype because of the terrible example many times it's been set. God has a true spirit-filled life. You get that this morning? Don't, don't shy away from it because of the bad examples. Mm, my Lord, don't shy away again because of the bad examples. There is a true Feel spirit-filled life. My Lord, my time's out. But how does one receive the baptism of the Spirit? Well, first of all, you have to be saved. Get that? You got to be saved. Secondly, you just have to believe and receive. It's a gift from God. Get that? As it concerns you, I know I'm probably speaking to someone either here or by the radio or by the internet. You've been asking God to fill you with the power of the Spirit. You simply believe and receive. It's a gift from God. It's a gift from Jesus, just like salvation is. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to tarry for a month to get it. You don't have to be perfect to get it because there's no perfect vessels that get baptized in spirit. We're all imperfect vessels. But it's a gift from God. You simply believe and you receive. You believe and as well, you yield. Get that? You yield. We don't have time to get to it, but in, in, in uh, Acts 2 and verse 4, it said they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. The word utterance means to form the sound of words. Get that? To form the sound of words. And when a believer is baptized, the Spirit of the Holy Spirit will come upon them, fill them, and put in their own spirit that utterance, that sound of words. And the believer just simply yields and is obedient and speaks that sound of the words that's in their spirit. That's tongues. He's not gonna force you to move your mouth. You are obedient. You obey his moving in your spirit and you speak that utterance. And you know, as it concerns the baptism of the spirit as we close today, that sometimes, and you know this, sometimes the baptism of the spirit is called even a work of the devil. And saying, well, it's just the flesh, or, or it's, it, that's, that's, that's of the devil. But get this, if it is a work of the devil, and if, it, and, and if it is just the flesh, it's the only thing the devil or just our own stinking rotten flesh has ever done that's magnified Jesus. I tell you what, I want it more. You and I, if you've been filled, you need to be refilled with the Spirit. Amen. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your word today. And God, we thank you, Lord, 
for the precious gift of the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And Father, today I'm asking you, Lord, to fill hungry hearts, Lord. In the name of Jesus, whether here or watching by the internet, listening by radio, I'm asking you, Lord, right now to fill hungry hearts. In the name of Jesus, fill hungry hearts. Fill them with the power of your Holy Spirit. Jesus, baptize them with the power of your Spirit. And give them that utterance, Lord. Let them obey you and yield their tongue and speak with other tongues today as you fill them. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for this precious gift. And Lord, we say it all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Give the Lord praise today. Hallelujah.